Let's turn to the book of Psalms. Start in Psalm 86. We'll read a few verses here and then a few verses in Psalm 96. But we'll begin with Psalm 86, verse 8. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like thine. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou alone art God. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name, and I will give thee thanks, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify thy name forever, for thy loving kindness towards me is great. And thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. And then if you turn over to Psalm 96. Beginning with verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So I'd like to speak speak to you this morning on the subject that God is great. God is great. We'll be zeroing in particularly back in Psalm 86. Verse 10, for thou art great and doest wondrous things, thou alone art God. When we use that word great, speaking about God, the scriptures do it very often, but it's almost like, it seems like a weak word in comparison to who we're talking about. I mean, we use that word, we talk about the Great Wall of China or Alexander the Great, or the Great Divide, or Great Britain. Uh, Tony Tagger says that uh, Frosted Flakes are great. <laughs> but we're talking, about, we're talking about a greatness that's much greater than anything that we could talk about here on earth. It's an unparalleled, unequal, unrivaled greatness when we talk about God. So what I'd like to do today is just have us to think about God's greatness some. And in doing that, I'm going to use some quotes. I I write down quotes that I hear sometimes on the radio from Christian speakers or read on the Internet or read in books. And uh, there are thoughts that impress me, and I don't want to forget them, uh, or there are truths that are presented in a much uh, better way than I could present them, so I try to write them down. And what I've done is taken a number of these quotes and incorporated them into this message, which means if you hear something that's stated really well, it's because I'm using someone else's uh, thoughts and words. This first one that I'd like to begin with this all has to do 
pointing us toward the greatness of God. This first one is from uh, this uh, lady named Johnny Erickson Tata. And you probably know that she was uh, paralyzed as a teenager many years ago in a swimming accident. And uh, she was talking about that one day on the radio and all the things that have happened from that. And she, you know, she was bringing out just how uh, if you see her on TV or hear her on the radio, uh, things don't look really so bad. But she said just to get her to be presentable in the day takes so much work, uh, mostly on other people's parts, because she can't move. Uh, just to get out of bed, somebody has to get her out of bed. Uh, she has to use a bedpan. Somebody has to deal with that. Somebody has to deal with uh, brushing her teeth. I just, she said, yeah, when you see her, you don't think about all those things. But anyway, in the midst of all that, she said this, and this was, I'm quoting her, but she was actually quoting someone else. She said, it was a quote that meant so much to her, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And so when I heard that, I thought, I'm going to write that one down. That's, that's quite a thought. Um, it's helped, she said it's helped her a lot as she's dealt with her physical affliction. But we can also apply it in a broader sense just in terms of trying to understand evil in this world around us. God permits bad things in order to accomplish good things. Think of Job, for instance. God permitted Satan to do many bad things to him in order to bring about good in the end. Or think about Joseph, what he said concerning his brothers who sold him into slavery. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We could go on with many examples, but probably the prime example would be the death of Christ. In the worst evil that could be imagined, the crucifixion of the Son of God, God was doing great and wondrous things. That's what we're talking about this morning, God being great and doing wondrous things. It is amazing that God can use evil men and the power of darkness to bring about good purposes, bring about his good purposes. One person said, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. Now, what I'm trying to get at here is it takes a great God to do what we're talking about here. Thou art great and doest great things in the midst of using evil men and the power of darkness in order to accomplish his good purposes. That's really, that's beyond our comprehension, what we're talking about when we say that. Let me just say it again. It takes a very great God to bring about good from evil and to do wondrous things from evil things, to somehow orchestrate life so that all things work together for good to those who love God, while at the same time allowing human choices to be real and significant. 
God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. These are these are things. The more you think about them, the more you realize I do not understand how this can be. There's mystery in God's dealings in our lives. There are many things we can't resolve concerning how and why God does what He does. But God can resolve those things. You can't. He can. There will always be some tension in God's, in the Bible's teachings which connect God with man. We must live in the tension and acknowledge the mystery. We can and must rest in the goodness and the greatness of God who does wondrous things. We must have confidence in God's sovereign plan even in the midst of misery and sin and unanswered questions. The answer to the problem of suffering is found in trusting the wisdom and power and grace of our great God. We can ask questions that comes up quite often in the scriptures. People asking God questions. Why? What's going on? We can ask questions, but he's not obligated to explain everything to us. In fact, because of our limited capacity to understand his infinite greatness and wisdom, he really cannot explain all the details of our life to us. He'd spend most of our life just explaining to us what's happening if he tried to explain the details, but he can't do that. There's too many things, too many aspects, too many variables are coming together to, for God to explain all the details to us. We should not presume to interpret the particulars of his providence. We should not presume to interpret all the particulars of his providential dealings in our lives, or other people's lives for that matter. He gives us the big picture in Christ. This is what we have in the scriptures. He's given us the big picture and then tells us and calls upon us to trust him as he works out the details. He's still in control when things seem chaotic and inexplicable. He's still in control when the pieces of the puzzle, we cannot seem to fit the pieces of the puzzle together. And we can trust him because he's shown us what the big picture is and what he's done for us in Christ. Which brings me to another quote. Contentment with the unexplained comes by way of trust in the great character of God, especially as he's shown his great love for us in Christ. So where are you going to find contentment when the pieces don't fit together? Well, it's by trusting in the great character of our God especially as it's been shown to us in Christ. You see that a little bit further down in this psalm that we've been looking at here, at Psalm 86. He says, For thy loving kindness towards me is great, and thou hast delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. God's loving kindness is great towards us. We know that because of what Christ has done. We can say that even in a stronger and clearer way than the psalmist could because we have seen God's way of dealing in loving kindness to us in Christ. God is great, and part of that greatness is his great loving kindness 
in sending his son to die for our sins. That's a great, enormous, massive, I don't know the right words to use, amount of loving kindness uh, when we think of his loving kindness towards us in sending his son. We may not understand how God works all things for good, but we can understand and know from his word that he always exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Why don't we just look? I'll, I'll just turn to it real quick. That's in Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23. Let me just read this to you. And this was in the context of, the, of things going really bad for Jeremiah. The culture was falling apart all around him. But in the midst of all that, he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast in his might. Let, let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. We may not understand a lot of things about what's going on in life. I'm sure Jeremiah didn't understand a lot of what was happening as the culture was falling apart around him. But he said, he said God said, this you can understand, that I am a God who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Well, let me go on to another quote. We were created to live in awe of God with a heart-satisfying wonder of God. I'm going to repeat that. We were created to live in awe of God with a heart-satisfying wonder of God. A.W. Tozer said, The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. That's another really good quote. Think about that. The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. We can think about God. I mean, that seems so simple to say, but an animal can't do that. We have a great privilege. We can think about God. We can choose to meditate on high and holy deep and magnificent thoughts of God. It's a great privilege. It's a great great gift. Are you and I using that gift? We should be using that gift often to think. Think of God. Think of the greatness of God. The magnificence of God. To meditate upon what a wonderful God we have. One Christian thinker in the 11th century who thought a lot about God was a man named St. Anselm. And he wrote a lot of things. Uh, but this is, this is quite a thought here. He says, We believe that thou art, speaking of God, we believe that thou art a being than which nothing greater can be conceived. He said, When we think about God, we're thinking about a being 
than that which nothing greater can be conceived. Is that the concept of God you have? It should be. Nothing greater can be conceived in this than God. No wonder Tozer could say the mightiest thought the mind can entertain. So that you can't think of anything greater than God. The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. We can't really conceive how great God is. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and highly to be to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. I'm talking about God being great. It's such a greatness that it's unsearchable. Sadly, many of our thoughts about God, the ways we seem to think about God, uh, aren't like that. We've lost a sense of the majesty and awe-inspiring wonder of God. And I think this is largely due to the fact that our thoughts of God are, are low and ignoble and mundane. They're too earthly, too human, too small. One man wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. Quote Tozer again, he said, perverted notions of God, perverted notions about God soon rot the religion in which they appear. He says, so so necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and moral standards decline along with it. Low thoughts of God, you're going to live a low life. Worship is pure or base as the worshipers entertain high or low thoughts of God. This is all Tozer from his book, Knowledge of the Holy. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him. God is great and does wondrous things. So, the question is, do you and I really think, what do you and I really think about God? What do we really think about God? Not what creed we say we profess, but what are our true, what is our true inward attitude concerning him. Our concept of God affects all we do and say, even if we're not thinking about God directly in our activities. If we do not have an overwhelming persuasion that God is great and wondrous in all that he does and all that he is, we will not live as we should. Now here are some thoughts from John Piper. He believed that we all need 
a vision of how infinitely great God is. This God we say we believe in. An unparalleled, incomparable, unequaled, unrivaled greatness that God has. We need more and more of that in our lives. It's vital to everything that we do and say. And this is, this is some things he posed as just things to think about. If we saw the greatness of God, we would not be so greedy and covetous. If we saw the greatness of God, our eyes wouldn't stray after lustful images and thoughts. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get angry at our children so easily. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't pout and get hurt so easily in our marriages. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't worry about our looks so much. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't spend time watching mindless and sordid and defiling television programs. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't get so discouraged with the evil and godliness and godlessness in our culture. If we saw the greatness of God, we wouldn't give in to our appetites and overeat in boredom and depression. And that's just a few. I think we could add many things to that list. Many, well, we could just take a moment here and, and think about it. If I saw, just apply it personally. If I saw the greatness of God, I wouldn't. And you can just fill in the blank. Or you could state it in a positive way. If I saw more of the greatness of God, I would. Ultimately, it comes down to this. If we really saw the greatness of God... We would love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And we would love our neighbor as ourselves if we saw the greatness of God. And in fact, we're told that when Christ comes again, this will be the case for all of his people. First John 3, 2 says, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We'll see the greatness of God and we'll be like him. Even now, we're told, as the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us, we are being changed from one degree of glory to another. Let me just read that verse to you out of Second Corinthians. Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. As we see Christ, as we see more of him, we're changed, you see, from glory to glory. So, 
You might say, well, it looks like it's just up to God to show me his glory then. I just sat back and nothing I can really do about it. Well, right after John says, we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, he says this, and everyone who has this hope fixed on him, that is on Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. That's quite a thought, isn't it? If you have this hope of seeing Christ and being changed um, into his image, that causes you right now to seek to be more pure and more holy. Purifies himself just as he is pure. And and then in 2 Corinthians, a a little bit after the the quote that I said of being changed from glory to glory, Paul writes, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What's that, What's that saying? It's saying this is what we'll be active in. We will be active in this. Now, again, we're dealing with mystery here. God's sovereign in our salvation from beginning to end. But we're also responsible for our thoughts and actions. Go figure that one out. God's great and does wondrous things. Yes, there's mystery here, but even this should heighten our awe of our great God and Savior. One writer named G.K. Chesterton said, The riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. (laughs) These mysteries that come up as we read through the scriptures, they're actually more satisfying than all the solutions men have come up to the problem. You know, they come up with some and it goes from one extreme to the other. doesn't really answer the problem. So just leave it in the hands of God. The, The mysteries of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. As a songwriter said, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. And it goes on in that psalm, deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill. Think about that, deep down there, never-failing skill, never-failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. The prophet Isaiah tells us God's understanding is inscrutable. Talking about the greatness of God, his understanding is inscrutable. Well, that's a big word. What's, what's that mean? It means his understanding is difficult or impossible to fathom. His understanding is beyond our understanding, beyond our ability to understand well, you might say, well, why is that? Well, of course, it's because he's God, but this, the psalmist actually gives us a little more answer. He says, um, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. Now, how is a finite mind going to understand one whose understanding is infinite? You're not going to. His understanding is infinite. Now, I want to give you an illustration here. It's a weak one, but 
hopefully it will bring home something of the point of the greatness of God, especially in this area of his understanding being infinite. I've got a This little container has a grain of sand in it. Now, I can barely, I know it's not a very good illustration as far as showing you because I know you're not seeing it. I can barely see it here. So actually, I brought something else along. (coughs) Something with hundreds of thousands of grains of sand in it. An hourglass. It runs out quicker than an hour, and I hope to be done before that's done. (laughs) But I want you to think about one grain of sand. It's a simple thing. But we don't even begin to know all there is to know about that grain of sand. In fact, there's far more we don't know about it than what we do know. I'm talking about one grain of sand. Edison said we know about one-tenth of one percent. He said we, we don't know, uh, how do you say it? We don't know but about one-tenth of one percent of anything. But we don't even know that much. We don't know that much about this grain of sand. Again, there's far more that we don't know about it than what we do know. How did it come to be here? Well, I brought it in, went out to our old sand pile, picked it up this morning. How did it get there? Well, I dumped some sand there. Where'd that sand come from? Well, I'm not really sure. (laughs) And what big block of granite or whatever did it get chipped off of? I don't know. How did it come to be here? Science has really just scratched the surface of understanding the the complicated nature and structure, uh, composition, the atomic structure of this this one little grain of sand. They're just scratching the surface of understanding that. The more they learn, they realize the more there is to learn. All these strong and weak forces that, that the physicists would talk about. Not only that, you don't know where this grain of sand is going to end up in the future. This is just one grain of sand we're talking about here. God knows everything about that grain of sand. And every other grain of sand around all the beaches of the world and all the planets in the solar system Not only that, he knows about everything else in the universe. He knows everything about everything else in the universe. If we wanted to study this grain of sand, we could keep learning more and more about it for the rest of our lives. But God doesn't need to study it. He already knows all about it. In fact, He never has nor ever will learn anything new about anything because he already knows every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists 
or could have existed anywhere at any time. We're talking about God being great. This is just one area, just his omniscience, his all-knowing of everything, just one of his attributes. So surely we can say, as Paul said, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So, to bring this to a close, let me just repeat some of these quotes that I've used in this message. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. It takes a very great God to bring about good from evil and to do wondrous things from evil things. God can resolve things we can't. We should not presume to interpret the particulars of God's providence. Contentment with the unexplained comes by way of trust in the great character of God, especially as shown in his great love for us in Christ. We were created to live in awe of God with a heart-satisfying wonder of God. The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. Perverted notions about God soon rot the religion in which they appear. We all need a vision of the infinitely great God we say we believe in. If we really saw the greatness of God, we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And then lastly, the riddles of God are more satisfying than the solutions of man. Well, some of what we've looked at here today belong to the deep and mysterious aspects of God's character. The best way to deal with these truths is to raise our hearts to God and in deep reverence say, Thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. May God help us to think magnificently of him. I thought we could close by singing that song, God Moves in a Mysterious Way.